wide world. So, uh, man, what a privilege it is to be with you. And I, like Pastor has said, and looking across this congregation, that uh, people that we love and uh, care so much for, and I feel very safe here tonight. And uh, I need to feel that to preach a word that I, I need to preach. And it's not a hard word, but it is. Um, it's a paradigm shift. It's a. It's a thought process that we need to uh, begin to understand and to walk in. Every generation, even every Pentecostal generation, uh, it's easy for us to lean on the revelations and the truths of the former generation, but it is the purpose of God for every generation to draw closer to God, to have greater understanding with Him. It's like the uh, four-man relay race, that you hand the baton of truth off, but then you've got to run your leg. You've got to be the truth for your generation. And it's easy to fall in to just a traditional sweep that continues to perpetuate itself. And perpetuating itself, it can lose a focus of true revelation and identity in Jesus Christ. So I think you'll understand more as we get into the Word of God. But uh, very, very much I feel anointing for this message and And let me give high honor to Pastor and First Lady. We love and appreciate the Fords very much. Got great confidence in their ministry. And uh, high honor to all the pastors in the place, the Felds and the Perrys and the Browns. And uh, most of you we have preached for and just uh, love the work that you're doing in the kingdom of God. Look with me at John chapter 3. I'm glad my wife is here. I've so thankful to be going home with her in the morning. It's been a while since we've been home. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And in fact, I would let you know that 21 verses here from 1 through 21 are very germane to what I'm speaking and preaching. But for the sake of time, I will read through verse 8 and and just hit a couple verses and and we'll go from there and begin to preach. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, How can these things be? Jesus said, You're a master of Israel. How can you not know these things? Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. In verse 21, He that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. I'm preaching what must I do to be saved. What must I do to be saved? God bless you. You may be seated. This conversation with Nicodemus is extended through John 3.16. Perhaps John 3.16 is maybe one of the most quoted scriptures from the Word of God. For God so loved, He gave, that we should not perish, but life everlasting. This is a statement or a verse that people who are barely even churchgoers can quote them. People from all different denominations would point back to this love of God that should bring us everlasting life. But we cannot extrapolate this from John chapter 3 without understanding the context of what is happening here. So understand first of all who Nicodemus is. His name means victorious among his people. So he is not an individual that is an outsider. He is one that is a leader of the Jews. He is victorious among his people. He's a hero, if you will. He is also one that is a Pharisee of much study of the word of God. He is one that, if I could say it this way in our terminology, he'd be like a camp meeting speaker. Everybody knows Nicodemus. His name would make everybody understand this is one of the greatest Christians of our time, if I can say it that way. This is who Nicodemus is. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And when he finds him, he declares unto him, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher come from God because no man can do the miracles that thou doest. He does not ask Jesus... What must I do to be saved? Because no doubt he thinks he's saved. He's a religious man. He's one that has studied the word of God in the scripture. He has given himself to religious ceremony. And he believes that he's doing everything he should in order to be saved, if I can say it that way. He only comes to Jesus because he sees the miracles. And because of the miracles, he realizes flesh can't do this stuff. So this comes from the Spirit of God. This is from heaven. So when he shows up to Jesus, he says, I know you're a teacher. Hear that. I know you're a teacher. And you've come from God. Because of the miracles, I have faith that you're a teacher. So let me be your student. He calls him rabbi, which means you teach me, you be the teacher, I be the student, I'll be the pupil, I want to learn from you. And it's from this place of faith and belief and understanding that Jesus begins to speak to him what we know as the new birth message. We need a paradigm shift in soul winning techniques. 
the best place to get an understanding of how people need to find Jesus would be from the word of God and perhaps from Jesus himself as an example. This is someone who is a believer according to his testament in time. He's someone that is religious, but he sees something in Jesus that he doesn't have. Nicodemus is blown away by the supernatural, the miraculous. And his faith is that Jesus is a teacher because of the miracles which happen. And since Jesus is received by Nicodemus as a teacher, Jesus just pulls up his chair and starts teaching. So if I'm a teacher come from God, then let me speak this to you. Immediately Jesus says, verily, verily, or this is truth. Very true, that except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. These are concepts that must be blowing the mind of Nicodemus, and this is not accident. Because this is an intellectual man. It's a man of understanding, a man of reasoning, one who has reasoned in the scriptures. He needs to be challenged with his thought process. And so Jesus throws two terminologies here kingdom of God and born again that he has probably never heard in his life. Born again, kingdom of God. And Jesus speaks it so specifically that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God. That word see in the Greek means you cannot envision. You cannot be aware. You can have no understanding. So he's telling him until you are born again, you don't even have an awareness of the kingdom of God. You have no ability to understand what the kingdom of God is. You have no opportunity to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, that intellectual mind is moving and operating, and he realized that this is a kingdom. Kingdom. Now, we need to be reminded of this often here in the U.S. of A because we're a constituted republic. Many would call us a democracy of sorts. We are a people of the people, by the people, for the people, and this is what we would call the people, basically, empowering individuals to represent us, and that be how we live. But kingdoms are not that way at all. Kingdoms have a king. And his word is a decree that becomes law. So whatever the king says becomes law. So Nicodemus has a better understanding of this than we do. That this kingdom of God is not a democracy. Can I just say this? You lose your rights when you're part of the kingdom of God. It's not about us. We are trying to be faithful servants. And so the kingdom of God is a place where a king rules and we all serve the king. So Nicodemus understands this. But now he's got to deal with this thought process of born again. And so he says, do I have to as an old man somehow find my mama's womb and be reborn? And Jesus said, I'm not talking about flesh. Because what is flesh is flesh. But I'm talking about spiritual things. So now Nicodemus has to understand that this kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. 
It's not an earthly kingdom that you can geographically travel to and be a part of or visit or tour, but this is a spiritual kingdom that you have to travel to differently than physically. And so he's got all this in his mind. How can I be born again? Understanding that the only way to be a citizen of the kingdom of God is by birth. You can't migrate in. You can't, you can't come as an illegal alien and go through processes. You can't sneak across borders. The only way to enter the kingdom of God is you've got to be born a citizen. You've got to be born a national. So, do I have to go back to my mother's womb? I'm not talking physical. I'm talking about spiritual things because that which is born of the Spirit is spiritual. So now he knows the process of being born again is going to be a spiritual birth, a spiritual born again. And Jesus now gives him the picture that when you are born again, this is what it's like. Verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And you hear the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. I want you to see a couple of things here. He didn't say that when you're born of the Spirit, you're going to see this. It's not sight. He didn't say when you're born again of the Spirit, you're going to smell this aroma. (laughs) Or you're going to feel even a spiritual feeling. But he said, when you're born again, there's going to be a sound. You're going to hear the Spirit sound, and you will know that you are born again. And so Nicodemus is being introduced to a birth. Jesus further explains the Spirit birth by saying, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So this spiritual rebirth has to be a water spirit birth and a spirit spirit birth. Born again of water and born again of spirit. And now we find that Nicodemus is blown away by the revelation that Jesus is giving him. And he says, how? Can these things be? And Jesus seemingly is blown away that he doesn't understand more spiritual things. How can you be a religious leader and not have spiritual understanding? How you, can you be one that has studied the word of God and not have revelation? And so now he begins to speak to him about as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, must Christ go to Calvary and be lifted up and it be a curse that is relieved just like the curse from the Old Testament. And then he says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved because he so loved the world he gave. Only begotten Son. Nowhere in here has Nicodemus asked this question that is my title. What must I do to be saved? But from the place of his faith, trust in Jesus, you're a teacher come from God. Jesus is tickling his intellect so that he will be taught and receive at the place of his faith a new birth message. This born again experience is absolutely seen, fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. In verse 1 of Acts chapter 2, the scripture says, When the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a it's a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting there, appeared in them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, when this experience happens, and I'm going to recap Acts 2 here, and the outpour of the Holy Ghost is among the 120 in the upper room, it's noised abroad. People everywhere in Jerusalem are hearing physically and hearing maybe secondhand what's going on. So they go to this upper room and begin to see this expression of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And Simon Peter stands up and says, you know, it looks like we're drunk, but we're not. I hope we never get to the place that we don't look drunk in our worship with God. This is how we were born. This is how we were birthed. And we're not too educated. We're not too sophisticated. This is still what God wants to do. We need to get so inebriated with the Spirit of God that we stagger around and praise and worship like some who understand would think we are drunk. So he begins to preach. They're not drunk, but this is that which is prophesied by the prophet Joel. And basically, Simon Peter preached this message. The Christ that all you Jews in here, Jerusalem, have been looking for and praying for, you crucified him. It was Jesus of Nazareth that you took to Golgotha's hill and took his life. And God has made that same Jesus Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, this is verse 37 of Acts 2, they were pricked in their hearts and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now understand, they're not saying what must we do to be saved. That's that's not the question that they're asking. They're not saying tell me what we need to do, what we need to follow, the formula that we need for salvation. That's not their question. They are convicted because they've crucified Christ. And here they've been looking for his return or his coming. Here they've been praying for his coming. And he, they missed it and they crucified him. So they said, my goodness, we've made a mistake. What must we do? In verse 38 of Acts chapter 2, none of you have heard this scripture. Then Peter said unto them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise of you, your children, all the fall for many as the Lord our God shall call. Now this statement is absolutely lays over perfectly with the new birth message of John 3. Because when you're born again of water, that's being baptized in Jesus' name. When you're baptized in Jesus' name, your sins are washed away. Your sins are remitted. So that is a new spiritual birth experience in water. And then when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues, it is a spiritual birth, and you're born again of spirit. So to be born again and see the kingdom of God, you must be born of water and born of spirit. And born again of water in baptism, born again of spirit by the influence of the Holy Ghost, and hearing the sound of the Spirit by speaking in other tongues. So we see... Now, none of this is new to Pentecostals in the house. 
we see very clearly that this is a new birth experience. You cannot see the kingdom of God. That means not even be aware of it. You have no understanding of it. And you cannot enter unless you're born as a national into that kingdom by a supernatural spiritual birth of water and of the Spirit. So, that seems to be so plain. I wonder why every church is not preaching this message. But I began to look closer at John 3 and found out something that blew my mind. When Jesus, in verse 8, says the wind bloweth where it listeth. I looked in the Greek and found that word wind. It is the Greek word pneuma, which is translated, it's translated 395 times, 385 times rather in the original writing. 94 of them times it's translated ghost or Holy Ghost. 289 times it's translated spirit, Holy Spirit, spiritual, spirituality. One time it's translated life, speaking of spiritual life in the book of Revelation. And the only other time that it's listed is John 3 and 8. It's translated wind. Why would the translators do that? Why not just be consistent and put spirit or Holy Ghost here like they do 384 times? But the one time they decide they will put wind instead of the spirit or the Holy Ghost. I looked further and found this word sound is the word phono in the Greek, which is translated most of the time language. And if they would just have done what they've done everywhere else in translation, it would read like this. The Holy Ghost moves where it desires. And you hear the language thereof. But you can't tell whence it comes and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Then how much clearer is John 3, 8 that it's fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. And if the translators had just done what they have done everywhere in the Scripture, it would have seemed to be so much easier. And so I saw this and I was mad at the translators. But then I quickly realized, no, that's not right. Because God's will is stronger than the translators. And I have great confidence that this word is pure to us. And that we don't have to doubt that there's been mistakes and failures. That God moved on men even to translate. And what we have is the word of God for us. So now I'm not mad at the translators. I'm mad at God. God, why didn't you make sure it said the Spirit moves where it desires because it don't even make sense the wind moves where it lists it. The wind has no mind of its own. The wind has been set in place by God's word. It is creation. It would be just as silly to say, well, the waters crash where they want. The waters don't have a mind. It's God. But it's the spirit here that moves where it desires. 
and you hear the language of the Spirit, but it moves and it goes, and you're not of understanding of where it goes and where it comes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And I'm a little frustrated, and I'm wondering, how come, God? Why didn't you make John 3 so very plain? And then... Surely every church we go to, regardless of what the name is on the sign, they'd be preaching John 3. Surely it'd be easy to see the spirit birth and the water birth of Acts chapter 2 that's fulfilled from John 3. Why didn't you, God, make it so plain? But I began to realize that the revelation of this is this. God is not looking for people that just know how to follow the rules and put the furniture together. He's not looking for people who can just do the list of rights and wrongs and pass, go, and collect 200 and don't go to jail and follow the rules and do this and do that. He's not looking for people that just have a list of what they can do and what they can't do. But he's looking for someone who will fall in love with him. Because he's not looking to fill up heaven's houses. He's not looking for what he wants as a bride. So he flirts with us with his love. And he showers us with gifts as he is courting us. And he shows mercy and grace to us in such dimensions. And when we respond with love, I can't believe he had loved me like that. Like Pastor said, he first loved us and that's why we love. And when God loves us that way, we just can't help ourselves. We want to know more about him. We, we want to worship and talk about him. We, we want to spend time in communication with him. We want to devour his word and know what he's like. He's looking for someone who will chase after him, who wants to fall in love with him, who can can become the bride of eternity. In fact, this is that paradigm shift that I'm talking about. If we can understand this, it will help us in our soul winning and it will break down walls between people that are struggling with truth. It's simply this. I did a search in the scripture when I realized that this is the reality of the word of God and found out, uh, I looked up the word saved. I wanted to find if I could see somewhere where there was a question, what must I do to be saved, and what the answer would be. And when I began to look it up, maybe 30 places, but let me just hit 12 of them, okay? Matthew 10 and 22 says this, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. That's the truth of the Word of God. So if you want to be saved, then if you looked that up and found Matthew 10, you would say, oh, well, the reason and the way I'm going to be saved is by enduring to the end. Okay. Not sure how much understanding that is, but I'm going to endure to the end, right? You look up this word, you're also going to find Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Okay. 
So if I want to be saved, I've got to endure to the end. If I want to be saved, I've got to believe and be baptized, right? But John 10 and 9, Jesus says, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. All right, then we've got to go through Jesus because he's the door. We've got to believe and be baptized, and we've got to endure to the end. So we're starting to get a salvation formula here, right? Acts 2 and 21, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Oh, so we've got to call on the name of the Lord if we want to be saved. Acts 16, 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Romans 8, 24 says, we're saved by hope. Okay. Are you with me? Romans 10 and 9, confess with your mouth, believe with your heart and you shall be saved. Romans 10, 13, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Ephesians 2 and 5, by grace are you saved. Ephesians 2 and 8, by grace you are saved in that through faith. That looks like a contradiction in verses that are only three verses apart. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.15 says that wives shall be saved through childbirth. Oh, you want to be saved? Have babies. <laughs> Some are very saved. Now, before you get confused, I feel like I need to just answer that one real quick. Because... <laughs> Timothy is being uh, given some understanding by Paul here, and he's saying there's a lot of people that are dissing on women because of Eve's action in the Garden of Eden. That by one sin, evil has happened to all mankind. But he said you need to understand that it's through a woman's birthing that the Christ was born. (laughs) So don't be so hard on someone because God can produce salvation through the same situation. So... He's saying this is how childbirth can save you. For Titus 3 and 5 says, By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost is how you are saved. And when you began to look at saved, it is always like this. Call on the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. And during the end, you shall be saved. Have a baby, you shall be saved. And you have to look at it in context because you will not find any place in the Scripture where the question is, what must we do to be saved? And the Scripture answers it for you. In fact, if you will begin to study the New Testament, you'll find this, that there are mysteries in the New Testament. What? There are things that the only people who will find out about them is those that are spiritual sleuths and detectives. It's people who start getting all the facts together. And they begin to pursue. And they begin to hunger. And they begin to... No one is going to know these mysteries except certain ones. In fact, of the seven... I hope this blows you away like it did me. Of the seven mysteries, these are two that are included. 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us that it is the mystery of the one God in Christ. If you want to know how people seemingly can preach great messages and then turn around and speak Trinity, which, by the way, is not in the Word of God. The word Trinity is not. It's because the oneness of God is a revelation. 
It is a mystery. In fact, when Simon Peter received this mystery and said, Thou art the God, then he began to say, Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed it. And there's only certain individuals that had the revelation of the one God in Christ. It's those that decide they will position themselves in hunger and pursue it. Another mystery listed in Colossians 1.27. The mystery of the Holy Ghost indwelling. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a mystery. This is why people all over our world that call themselves Christian can preach from John 3 and can preach from Acts 2 and never realize the infill of the Holy Ghost in their life. It's a mystery. It's a revelation. Jesus is teaching parables to the masses. Now get the picture. He is preaching to the multitudes and he's teaching them with parables. The kingdom of God is likened to one that sows the seed and he begins to spin this picture. And when he walks away from that message he preached, the disciples are blown away and they said, my God, he preached today. He shook the corn. The paint is falling off the walls. He was preaching. But we have no clue what he meant. That's what the word says. And Jesus speaks to them and says, it's not meant for the masses or the multitudes to understand the secret things of the kingdom. But you who've left your nets and you're following me, you who forsaken father, brother, sister, mother, and you're chasing after me, You who won't go anywhere when everybody else leaves. And I say, will you leave also? Who else has the words of eternal life? We're not going anywhere. We will be with you all the way to the end. He said, you. Because you have chosen that position to follow me, to be my disciple, to pursue me, to forsake everything else, to find that pearl within the field and sell everything to buy it. You, you are the ones that understand the mysteries of the kingdom when we use the word saved we become very most of the time we become very denominal in our speech and we build walls that hinder people from receiving the word of God of new birth and of water and of the spirit Because being saved is not an experience. You won't find that anywhere in the Word of God. Being saved is a journey. And you're on your salvation journey every day of your life until you get to them pearly gates. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then you're saved. And when we talk about salvation as an experience, now I I want to qualify again because you heard me preach. You can't even see the kingdom of God. You cannot be born as a citizen to the kingdom of God until you're born of water and the Spirit. This is a necessity operation that has to happen. But you can obey Acts 2.38 and not be saved. You can go to a Pentecostal church all the days of your life and not be saved. Because salvation is a journey. 
that begins with a birth into his kingdom. And then as a citizen, you learn the rules and the laws and the customs of the kingdom. And most of all, you learn to fall in love with the king. And what the Lord wants is a bride. Not a group of people with a certain name behind them. Here's the pressure we feel. When we talk about what God is doing for us in our churches, and perhaps as pastors or ministers or even children of God, we talk about, man, revival service was awesome. Then traditionally among us, there's going to be this pressure. Well, how many received the Holy Ghost? Well, that's a powerful experience of birth that needs to happen in everybody's life or they cannot enter or see the kingdom of God, right? Just qualifying. However, that is such a small part of the journey from where God calls us to the journey of being his bride. And when we speak of this experience in salvation definition, then there are Acts 19 people that are turned off because it's unbiblical. We cannot quantify salvation with that message. But if we go to someone who loves God, a Nicodemus, a 19 believers, and we simply say to them, did you know? that there's a gift that God wants to give to you. Since you've been a believer in searching for God, have you received this gift? Then we break down walls. And whatever level their faith is in us, whether they receive us as a teacher come from God, or they can receive us as a spiritual leader, or whatever they receive us at, to meet them at that level of their faith and trust and lead them to a birth message because until they're born again, they have no idea, can't understand, have no vision of the kingdom of God. And then once they're born, there's a process of maturity and growth, walking in relationship with Him. I uh, won't need to say this and let this be, church people, let this be from me only. And let your pastor straighten this out when I'm gone. But I, I need to say this. Organizations are good. Because they allow us to do so much more. As we pull our resources and tools together. We can affect the entire world, and if we don't organize, then we're going to be very little in effectiveness. But organizations, and look at politics. After a while, politics that is meant to be a process that helps us in our democratic state, that helps us to get representatives for the people into a place of power where rules and laws can be changed, right? After a while, politics is serving politics. (laughs) Until if we really knew, if we really knew all the ugliness, and I think we're seeing it. I'm talking bipartisan here. We're seeing it everywhere that politics is serving itself. 
and even in church organization where people are loving God and hungry to serve him, if we don't every generation go back to a point of origin and make sure that we are biblically sound and not just pick up something that was handed down because God wants this generation to be more in truth than the former generation. Here's what we have had happen in just my generation is that because we neglected to go back to the word of God and have fresh revelation for our generation, then our children have looked to success of what we have said was important. We have said, well, the important thing is to have thousands in your church. So they've gone to where they have thousands in their church, regardless of whether or not they've ever had a born-again experience. It's what organization does. Our greatest, our greatest monies are given to places that have the best testimony about how many got the Holy Ghost and how many prayed through. Because it's perpetuating itself. Well, this is where money is, so this is what we've got to produce. And because we're producing this, we feed more money into it, and the government of it grows until it's just feeding itself. Until when this kind of message is preached, that is from the Word of God, it's considered thin ice, or perhaps being rebellious against church leaders or organizations. Paul made this statement that freed up his entire bishopry, his entire uh, ministry under him when he said, follow me as I follow Christ. He said, your responsibility is to know the word of God so well that if I get out of line, the Holy Ghost in you will not allow you to follow me. We are looking for external gifts to operate in and through us. When it's obvious in the word of God, gate beautiful, the lame man, and they look at him and say, well, we could buy you new clothes, but we don't have any money. We could take you to McDonald's, but we're fresh out of coin. But what we do have is healing. So such as we have, give I to thee in the name of Jesus Christ. I think that we could probably do the other. Well, we don't have healing operating in us, but hey, I can spare a 20. Because that's where our focus has been. That the proof of God being in your life is the favor which we call a blessing in finance. Do you know when the angel spoke to Mary and said, Blessed are thou and favored among women that she's going to have a sword in her heart? That's favor of God. That she would kneel at the cross and watch her son give his life. That's favor of God. I don't know why we've gotten away from the scriptures that let us know and narrows the path. And few there be that find it. 
And while we are believing for an end time revival, I'm not just interested in getting numbers. I'm not just interested even in how many can pray through. I want to know how many disciples are searching after him and hungry after him and pursuing him who are willing to sell everything, leave mother and father. It has become very obvious to me, and forgive me for meddling, it's become very obvious to me that I, I have to make sure I talk differently. We sing songs that are produced and written from everywhere it could possibly come from. And so many times it's a lack of spiritual understanding, and many times it's not biblically principled in what's being said. And it causes a paradigm of the way we think until we think that's what the Word of God says. That's what truth is because of a way that we sing it over and over. We preach this way because if you preach a certain way, then it brings more crowds, then it gets more money, and it just feeds itself. Scripture plainly tells us that you will save some with love and some with fear but when's the last time you heard a conviction message because it's not popular in our world of horror stories and films that people can see at a moment's notice on their phone it's not popular to make people think about their eternity And so we have gotten away as a generation from convicting messages. But it's the Word of God. And some we'll save with love, but there's an entire dimension of harvest that we're not going to reach because we're not preaching conviction. I served as... Evangelist coordinator, eight years in the United Pentecostal Church International. And I thank God for the opportunity, and I feel like that perhaps we help the evangelist in our organization. But it wasn't until after I resigned and got out away from that that I realized how I had got sucked in by the political powers. And I was doing things that was helping me get things done for the evangelist, red tape in the political process that helped feed that same stuff. And I've had to repent. God. Forgive me for getting so caught up in doing what seems to be right that I get away from the truth of your word. Because if we, if we take off from a foundation that is warped, trying to get to this place of eternity, we're going to miss it by a million miles. So the foundation of where we start has to be solid. One time in the scripture, and I, I'm, I'm done. One time in the scripture you'll find this phrase, what must I do to be saved? It's when Paul and Silas gone to Macedonia. 
And because they're preaching and they cast out a devil from a woman, they are thrown in prison. And the jailer of the prison, his job is to make sure no prisoners escape. And if they escape, his life will be taken for their stead. And so when Paul and Silas are praying and singing worship songs to God at midnight, an earthquake comes and shakes the jail and the doors burst open. The stocks fall off the hands and feet of Paul and Silas. And when the jailer sees that the prison is wide open and he thinks that his life is going to be taken, he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul takes him from his place of realizing death was intimate to him, very close to him, and he begins to preach to him the love of Christ, the second chance of Christ, the mercy of the gospel, and baptize him and all his family. But even he was not saying, what do I got to do to get to heaven? What do I got to do to miss hell? That's the wrong question. And if you start off with the wrong question, you're going to end up with the wrong answer. The question is simply this. Do you love Jesus? Do you realize how good he has been to you? And are you so thankful and grateful for what he has done that you want to pursue him with everything in your life? And if that's the case, the new birth, yes. Holy Ghost, yes. Growth and maturity and holiness and all them things, yes. Because you will do anything to please Him. You'll do anything to bring His. You'll do anything to get close to Him. Because it's all about a relationship. Would you stand with me today? Uh, the verse in the scripture that tells us this is not meant there to give us license that we all can somehow decide what salvation is. But the scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean just whatever you think salvation is. But in your journey of salvation, you personally have to work with fear and trembling because I am responsible for my relationship with God and my journey of salvation. When you get to the great white throne judgment and Jesus is there, He's not going to say, what church were you a part of? What organization? What was your salvation message? He's just going to want to know if you know him and he knows you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Or enter in, thou good and faithful servant. It's about whether or not you know him personally. And you're willing to leave everything and follow him. 
that you don't care if it's a narrow way and a straight gate. You'll do whatever you've got to do to be in relationship with Him. The call of the Holy Ghost here today is to push everything else aside and make sure that I'm in relationship with God personally for myself. Would you respond to the Word of God right now and begin to come to the altar and let the Holy Ghost assure things in your spirit? Come on, somebody needs to come talk to the Lord today. Somebody needs to respond to the Lord today. Yeah. Talk to Him in spirit and in truth. Don't say words that you always say unless you mean them here today. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Draw us close, God. Draw us close. Give us a fresh vision of who we are in relationship with you. Let us have that determination again. We'll leave all. We'll leave all. We'll leave all. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Take my riches. Take my health. Take my strength. Take my family. But give me Jesus. all over the auditorium would everybody just come close those that are on their knees if you if you wouldn't mind would you stand with us <laughs> I know you're examining your hearts but would everybody just make their way down to the front right now wherever you are in your relationship with the Lord we celebrate that here today even if you have not made steps of repentance but you hear him calling you that's belief we celebrate that we celebrate that with you and we don't want to somehow make you feel like well you don't have anything until you've done this or you've done that but we want you to know we understand that he loves you like he loves us and so we join with you in this altar and we thank God for the journey that he has us all on and we strive and reach together to be more like him and to pursue him and to know him to come to the light of who he is would you just let someone reach out and put a hand on your shoulder if that's appropriate or take you by the hand if that's appropriate or move close to you if that's appropriate and we're going to pray for one another in this altar today we're going to celebrate where you are in God we're going to thank God for where you are in relationship with Him and encourage all of us to get a little closer get a little closer get a little closer there you go 
Yeah, ministry, help me pray for people. Yeah.